Noel Gallagher, welcome to Absolute Radio. It's good Thank to you have you much. back here. Uh, friend of the radio station. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We, we can call you that. I know you wanted to come on immediately and have your say about the recent nil point that the United Kingdom score in the Eurovision. <laughs> so uh, well, let's have start, your say on it. For a start, why are we in it anyway now? We shouldn't even be in it. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. I usually do watch the Eurovision because it's a good laugh, but I uh, like somebody texted and said, you want to turn it on? It's pretty funny. And um, yeah... Uh, yeah, and everyone's saying it's a Brexit vote. It's like, are you sure it's not just because the song's rubbish? What did you think of the song? I never actually got to hear the song, but I'm sure it's dreadful. <laughs> I but... thought it was all right. Oh, really? I thought it was... The problem is, I think we just need to go... Richie and I have talked at length about this. We just need to put someone up there in a chicken suit and forget the whole right. kind of, you know, writing kudos. Yeah, thing. well, the I mean? thing with that, particularly with Britain's entries, they're always trying a bit too hard. Do you yep. know what I mean? It's like you say, there's like, you know, that... I remember watching it one night when that rock band Lordy won it. Oh, and they're yeah. all dressed as monsters. Orcs. And that's like, this is the future, man. <laughs> this is the future. It's uh, like High Flying Birds was initially modelled on that, but kind of bottled it. You end. got the look. If, if someone offered you a load of money to, to do uh, the United Kingdom song for Eurovision, would you do it? T- £32.5 million pounds they offer you. Yeah, I'd write it. <laughs> would you be? Would you write it? I'd It'd write be great. It. Yeah, yeah, I'd write it too. I'd smash it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd write it. Depending on who's going to perform it, though, isn't it? Would you like to pick the performer, then? Like, if you wrote it, then you say, right, I'm going to handpick. I'm not sure anybody that I know would be up for performing it, but uh, I definitely, for 32.5 million quid, I'd write a song for anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, if we're offering you other song offers, um, we're a little bit late for the Euros for this year, but there's going to be a World Cup strangely next year. When you think about, and you love your football, we can talk about Mm. City. That's right. When you talk talk about cherished songs like New Order's World Emotion and Three Lions, a good England song, people love yeah. would you ever consider that well I've got asked a couple of times and um, down the years and they're quite and I never said yeah because uh, for one thing or another I don't know why but uh, I'd have thought they'd be quite difficult to write even mm. though because you've got to get certain amount of cliches in like a winning and gold and all that kind of thing I'm not sure I could be bothered. <laughs> but for 32 point million yeah same deal. 5 million pounds same deal you could repurpose I'd a bit of a, a John Barnes rap, that. get a bonehead out of retirement. I could rewrite Live Forever, I suppose, and throw a few football <laughs> cliches in there. <laughs> that would be good. Speaking of football, when, when football stopped during the lockdown, it's what we've all been dealing with over the past 12 months, and there was these videos out of football players doing keepy-uppies in their gardens and all that kind of thing to stay match sharp. How did you as a musician stay on top of things when the gigs were cancelled and everything? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd finished uh, a, world, a, a two-year world tour the previous November in 19 uh, and I'd done I think I'd done five back-to-back world tours which had taken seven years so I was done anyway so I'd given myself till 2023 off oh wow so I wasn't I'd had a I had Glastonbury that was the one thing I was going to do so I wasn't really missing out on a great deal um, so you timed your holiday with the global I did, pandemic somebody was saying to me did you know something I was like I don't know <laughs> um, but uh, I I was I was I was I was w- very much ready for a year out anyway but um i didn't do a great deal in the first three months. i mean i wrote some i finished off a lot of songs that i would ordinarily have not finished and of course the two songs were on the best of wouldn't exist without lockdown happening in fact the best of itself wouldn't probably exist so in a way it's been very good creatively what do you mean the, the, the best of wouldn't have existed without lockdown well because we were i would uh, you know um we had a group phone call with all the my because I run my own label and all the the, the the staff and all that and we were saying right so what are we going to do and is uh, that on teams 
Uh, sorry? Was that on Microsoft Teams? I don't know. I was on my mobile in the kitchen. I don't know why everyone else was on. Um, and uh, somebody was like, right, are we going to keep everybody involved and busy? You know, and uh, somebody said, well, it's 10 years since you went solo. And there was talk of, you know, the, the first album, like a, like, re, you know, and I said, well, hang on a minute. Let me do a best of. And that the idea kind of came from that, really. And, and then just kind of evolved. And, and I was like, well, if we're going to do it, I've got to find some new music. And I, I, I remembered these two songs that I'd never finished. And then it kind of all went from there, really. So when you're, run, when you're running your own label um, and you've come up with this idea during lockdown, does that then make it easier to look back at the 10 years of Five Flying Birds and then pick your songs to put on it? Because you've got you've got quite a, a can of work to pick from just for this project yeah well i've yeah when i left oasis i didn't i didn't want to I, I didn't want to re-sign a record deal i'd done all that so yeah it's very it, things are quite easy now because i'm in charge and I, it's just you know if i have a whim my god somebody better dance to the tune of that whim. <laughs> uh, and sometimes they're great and sometimes they're not but um yeah, yeah, it makes it easier because all the, the songs are on the same record label, all owned by us and all that. So yeah, it's, it, yeah, it was it was quite it was a great thing to do because it kept me focused on something. Yeah, you know, uh, and of course the album's still not out yet, so that goes all the way through to the summer. So it's great, but like everybody else, privately, you know, it was a real, real horrible, tough time for everyone. And I know people like me. The edge is taken off it because I've got a massive back garden. But all that, all that aside, it was really tough for my kids and my missus. And lockdown uh, three was the worst one, wasn't it? The, the last of the three seemed to be. Yeah, the one that it was when it was kind of when uh, when when we got out that kind of last summer, and then it went up to October, and then we went back in. That was really brutal for the kids and and everybody. It was, um, yeah, and I, I, I just think you know. I can't see us going back into lockdown. I'm not going into lockdown again, by the way. If anybody's Jeez. listening from the government, <laughs> I'm not bothered what you say. I'm, I'm not going in, and that's the end of it. Fugitive. I will I will buy a nightclub in the West End, and I will open it 24 hours a day, even if there's only me in there playing my own tunes. Gallagher's Bar. That'd be so good. I don't know what I'm going to call it, but it's going to be great. I'm not going back into lockdown. You are our first in-person interview no in way. the studio. No um since it all kicked off, I missed out uh, on a a Zoom interview with Coldplay because the tech failed me. Uh, so, <laughs> don't, don't say anything. He's tempted. He's tempted. Uh, um, but I mean, yeah, you're you're our first in person oh, one. Wow. Uh, what what tech have you struggled with, or or, or, or do you struggle? With? I'm dreadful with it all. I'm, I was the last, I don't really know this, but I was officially the last person to get a mobile phone in England. <laughs> and I was one of, I was definitely, I didn't get a laptop until 2012. Oh and word. I think I've, I've switched it, uh, when I initially got it, I was like, whoa, whoa, and switched it on. I get so frightened. I think if I hit the wrong button, there's going to be a guy inside a mountain at a bank of TV screens looking at a missile being lost and saying, how's that happened? And I'll be there going, oh, what have I done? Uh, so I don't, I just tend to use my phone and I hate it. I hate the way that, uh, well, I tell for I was watching the Oasis documentary, the Nebworth thing that's coming out in, in uh, October and um, I was reminded by somebody that as we, after the gig, the promoter was saying, well, what are we going to do now? And I said, well, we'll do it next year. And he was saying, great, we'll do five nights next year because it'd be really easy to sell the tickets over the internet. And I was like, the internet? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Yeah. And he said he explained it to me and I laughed and went, 
<laughs> never catch on. Who want that? <laughs> never going to take fast off. forward 25 years and those little phones are just, they run your life. But are you, I mean, we were talking about this on our, on our home time show a couple of weeks back, but are you in WhatsApp chat groups? Like, are you in like a Lads Tour Falaraki 2023? We, we, in, we, we, I'm in a Man City one with all my city mates from Manchester and I'm in one with my mates down here that's entitled Not For The Girls. Oh, I. Because <laughs> not bit, I mean, you can cut this bit out, right? But what I found during the first lockdown that the level of filth that was sent between men... Because <laughs> yeah. I'm not into that kind of thing, right? But of course. the level of filth... I mean, it was to be admired. I mean, I was almost saying, Sarah, look at... <laughs> but, uh, You've always got. There's always one mate that sends on the. Oh, we've and stuff, got a we? couple who check it. They cross the line. Yeah. So you have to definitely go. Yeah, mate, come on, mate. I get all of the, all the stuff I get sent. The phone Jerry, our plumber, is the one who sends me. He's, he's right. always the one who forwards on, like yeah. someone flying out of a cannon and you know in yeah, the window. The, or, it was. I mean, it was staggering for the first for that first initial three months. And then it was just like, all right, this is getting a bit sad. Getting a bit sad. <laughs> but there was nothing else to do. You know, that, that's the thing. I mean, when it's, it's amazing. Oh, no, well, yeah, it's amazing how much you miss just the grind of everyday life. And yeah. as British people, we're programmed to complain about the grind and the weather and work and blah, 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 and the tube and traffic. Once that's taken away from you, it, 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 it's, it's, it's really amazing how much you need that as a person just to exist. Because once the walk to work has gone and, and all just the mundanities of life, what else is there? You don't really have a great deal, you know what I mean? And all family's been on top of each other and that. It's, it, was, it, was, it was tough times, got to say. Yeah. We speak about the mundane side of things. Um, looking at some titles here, right? So, Back the Way We Came, Volume 1. Best title ever. Then you've got the single on it, We're On Our Way Now. Second best title ever. <laughs> These are two navigation-based titles. Somebody was saying this to me in an interview yesterday. What are you like at navigation? I can't see that you are necessarily driving too much these days, but back in the drive. day... Well, well, there you go. I've got a driving licence. Never had one. I've had one driving lesson, and it was horrific. What? <laughs> so you're never going to learn to drive? No. You'd be awful in the apocalypse. No, I, I would. I know, but I'm part <laughs> can't, of the, You I can't use really a phone. This, but I'm part of the solution, not part of the problem. <laughs> I, I, I would be the worst driver. because I'd, I would be involved in a road rage incident within an hour. <laughs> within an hour. Are you, are you a backseat driver? So if someone's driving no, you... No, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to music. I'm not, I'm not... I mean, I am no way... I love cars. I've, I just didn't stop me buying four cars. I'm <laughs> uh, I love cars and the aesthetic nature of them and all that but as to get behind the wheel you know sometimes I pass people on the, on the motorway you know people that look like they should be in hospital do you know what I mean I just think <laughs> and if he can drive why can't I drive and then I'm just like I can't be busy looking out the window so you bought four cars but you yeah. must be buying those cars purely looking at them as to what they're going to be like as a passenger not to be well, the pleasure of driving well I, I mean I've told this story many times but in case you haven't heard it in the 90s uh I, uh, after we got paid like the big money, I was like, right, I'm going to get a proper Rockstar's car and I'm going to learn to drive. But not a laptop. And, no, no, well, they hadn't been invented then. Oh, true. And, uh, <laughs> true. and uh, I'd, uh, I'd always fancied a Mark II Jag, right? And uh, somebody told me about this company in the Midlands called Vicarage Motors that find old sh like chassis of old cars in the 60s and they put brand new cars inside them. And, 
really expensive and all that thing. And I was like, right. So I go up to this factory and buy a 1967, the year I'm born, like black Mark II Jag. Yeah. Anyway, they got me the thing and it took. So I kind of, you know, designed it all and signed off on it. And then about 18 months later, two years, I'm sat loading the dishwasher, looking out the, my window in St. John's Wood and the flatbed truck pulls up with this jag on the back and I'm looking going, look at that car I'm going to get the wild car <laughs> this guy comes up with a clipboard and he says uh, no Gallagher oh Mr Gallagher it is you and I was like yeah and he said well we've got the car and I was like what car <laughs> he said, and he says uh, your car this is your car and I was like what are you talking about I can't drive mate and he's looking at the thing and then he's like go back to his wagon and he's on the radio to his boss and he says that's definitely your car and I'm on the phone to someone saying why is there a Mark II Jag pulled up outside my house? It's like, well, that's the car you bought two years ago. <laughs> I've still got it, right? It was in, it's in the video for We're On Our Way Now. Matt Smith drives it around in the video. And uh, it's 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 just this artifact that sits in a garage. So you've got no plans to learn to drive at any point? No. I don't like, I don't know. No, no. It's not for me. And while I'm at it, I can't swim either, and I refuse to learn that as well. Unbelievable. Like, Why can't you swim? It's like, we're not supposed to be in there. <laughs> We'd have webbed hands if we were supposed to be in there. You're missing out on some great stuff, Noel, to be honest with you. Ducking, bombing, diving, all that kind of stuff. No, Not I interesting. Can, I can duck and dive on the streets, mate. Don't worry about <laughs> that's that. good, <laughs> uh, So, I mean, I bet you can't believe it's been 10 years of high flying birds. Time does go so quickly past. Mm. I mean, uh, just reading up on you, you did a proper on the road kind of musical apprenticeship. You were a guitar, guitar technician for the yeah. Inspiral Carpets. Yeah. Um, and is, were you, does that class as a roadie? Yep. Did you have the bum cleavage back then? Nope. Okay. No, I, I was the only person ever to go on tour in a pair of white jeans. <laughs> Never got them dirty. <laughs> no, no, because I, I, I worked out... When I first started with them, it was just me. And uh, and then as the Manchester thing blew up and you would do like... Uh, it, the, the live scene wasn't like it was now. It was mainly universities. And uh, it quickly worked out that, hang on a minute, I can get a lot of students to do this for me when I get there. So I kind of... Rock out of the tour bus. <laughs> Entrepreneur. Spog over. Yeah, mate, come here. See all this gear here. Can you get it on the stage for us while we go and have a bacon sandwich? <laughs> and, then, and then I'd just do the plugging in and strumming, and that'd be it. And so then, are, you in, are you in Nightmare now if you, when, when you're doing a gig because you've done the sound well, thing you I know? Well, do, I, do, I do know what goes on. Yeah. So when, when various roadies I've had down the years are kind of looking a bit worse for wear, I'd be like, oh, yeah? <laughs> Okay, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I love my crew and they love me because I, I understand the job and the jo and the job is great. It is great, but it is hard graft. It's like you're up at, you know, whatever time in the morning and you finish late and all that. And uh, that they and actually they've been going through a tough time in lockdown because the live thing yeah. just mm. fell off a cliff and some horror stories of um, you know people and their mental illness and all that. And um, it's uh, yeah, it's been a tough time for them as well. It'd be good to get the family back together, basically. Yeah, we did a thing a, a couple of weeks ago for Sky Arts, which was it. Uh, we they, we got uh, the Duke of York Theatre in town, and we were there for a week rehearsing and did a did a gig in an empty theatre. And it's the first time we'd all been together for like eighteen months, all of us. And uh, it's great to see everybody. And you forget uh, how much you need live music. It's good for the soul, even yeah. rehearsing it and all that. And when we we ended up doing the the show itself. It's an amazing feeling, and it's just a shame there's nobody there to see it, but when it eventually does come back, um, you forget you need it, you know what I mean? It's part of it's part of who we are in this country, and um, the quicker it gets back, the better, I think. Yeah, you I mentioned see. Nebworth a while back, and um, 
I was over at Nebworth the other day with my three-year-old doing the, the dinosaur trail there, and whilst he's oh, in the well, souvenir... <laughs> whilst, um, whilst he's at the souvenir place trying to pick his favourite dinosaur stuff, I'm seeing the pictures of, of, of the Oasis gig, and, and, like, you talk about how you missed, you know, playing live together mm. with, you know, with the mm. band, but, like, Surely you must also you you must feed so much off those crowds as well that that amazing feeling you you must have missed well, that. Well, I mean, as well. when you when you see this documentary, it's re- I mean, it's the band at its absolute peak, Liam's at its peak, and but it's a real snapshot of a of a of a long gone era of uh, you know, there's a quarter of a million people, not a single mobile phone, yeah, no internet in the moment with the band. You know, nobody's doing this. Uh, everybody's singing at the top of their lungs, and uh, it's a very young crowd. And it's uh, you kind of you kind of think, wow, the nineties. Well, I was going to say to you, I, I genuinely I bang on about it a lot. I think the nineties was it was the last great decade. It was the last great sure. decade of music. Well, It'll I, never I, be like that yeah, again. No, I, I don't talk think. about it now. I think that my 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 kids' generation. I think this is actually the first generation that are going to have less than their parents. You, when we all grew up, we had more than our parents. We had more freedom, we had more opportunity, a better lifestyle. Our kids now have got less, well, have less freedom. My children now, two boys who were 10 and, four, and 14, or was it 9 and 13? I can I never remember my kids' ages. Uh, <laughs> will have less freedom because of this ridiculous woke culture and the internet, and they'll have less opportunity... Uh, because of the you know the the economy's crashed and they'll have less places to go because of the COVID thing, which I don't think will ever really truly go away. And I feel I feel bad for them. I, but like when when people see this film, uh, I I got quite emotional watching it uh, just because of what we've lost really. But it is a great it's a great document of a, of a great. You know, great band in a great. Mm. Era. Do you think someone like Alan McGee would ever could ever be in like an Alan McGee again or anything like that? Well, they're still there, but you know, the record labels, the majors bought all those guys out. Uh, you know, and you tell Alan and Andy McDonald and, and 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 a few others who started these record labels in their bedrooms and then sold them for thirty million. And why wouldn't they? You know, yeah, we'd all we'd all do the same. Uh, and then, you know, the the record. The, the music industry doesn't like Mavericks. Yeah. You know, the reason why there are no bands now is because in the 90s, Oasis and Primal Scream and Blur and Pulp and all those, we were the mainstream. And what the music industry doesn't like the mainstream being a load of fellas on drugs, <laughs> drunk half the time on a Tuesday. <laughs> like, they don't like that. They like people like Harry Styles. Yeah. Who they say, wear this dress and shut it. <laughs> <laughs> Wear this, sing that, and go on. Yeah. And, just, and that's that, that's kind of what happened. So, but the Mavericks are still there. It's just they're not in the mainstream. And, and unfortunately, we were brought up where Top of the Pops and the charts was everything. Yeah. And I listen to the charts, and it's just embarrassing, I think. Yeah. Do you moan your way right through it? I've only ever listened to it once uh, in the last, oh, I don't know, many, many years. And, um, it was just that it felt like it was the same song yeah. with a load of people in it who don't even got names, they've got numbers <laughs> and, and, and letters attached to them. And they're, they're like, yeah, like barcodes or something. But um, a lot of it's the same because a lot of it is written by the same people. You know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's sad for kids, but You're ambassador for uh, Record Store Day this year. Um, how, how important were, were the record stores for you when you were not just growing up, 
but 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 equally, we all know how important they they still are well, now. They, and this is coming out on vinyl, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything I do is will be on vinyl. Yeah. Uh, well, they are like um, they're like um, you know the, the the live venues. It's a it's a meeting place where you would see other like minded people, and it uh, it 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 reaffirms who you are. And I remember you you know you'd go into HMV or Virgin in Manchester uh, when I just left school and. You know, when we're going to the Smiths and the, and the Jam and all that, and other people there were, and they'd have a you know a notice board for you know to buy and sell records, and it's kind of there were meeting places for kids, but with the advent of then when the digital age, kids are not a music is just a thing for them. They have on the phone. It's not like we were obsessed with it. We had top of, top of the pops, and uh, we had there was four music magazines and the music culture pop culture was a huge part of british culture now it's not that important anymore mm. um because they've got the phones and fortnite and <laughs> call of duty and all that <laughs> phones and fortnite yeah uh, i mean we saw you at the the isle of wight festival was that 2019 you played the isle of wight festival yeah it would have been yeah yeah you, you were great obviously there was a lot of chat about the uh, percussion scissors oh yeah charlotte yeah uh, are you are you are you at the moment in lockdown working out the next Percussion, I unlikely item of percussion. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, just kind of. It was nice to see them all last the other day. She wasn't playing the scissors the other day. <laughs> funny, I think she might have retired them. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, a lot. It was funny when that happened, right? That a lot of a lot of journalists try to intellectualise it, right? And honestly, it, it, she actually does play them in her band. She's got her own band, right? All right, she's French and she's psychedelic and she wears a cape. <laughs> and you're not quite sure of what she's going on about most of the time. Yeah. You're just kind of nodding, going, right. Oh, yeah. And uh, we were doing Jules Holland, doing one of the tracks, and, and she has a bit where she, she has a, a spoken French bit in the middle. And uh, I was saying, it didn't come in for a minute, and I was saying, so in that minute, can you play the tambourine or something? And she's like... I cannot play as a tambourine. <laughs> and I was like, well, even a, my nine-year-old can play a tambourine. She said, like, well, I can't. I was like, can you play shaker? I cannot play as a shaker. And I was like, can you play anything? She said, well, in my band, I play the scissors. <laughs> and for a minute, I thought she said the scissors, right? <laughs> and I was like, well, play them then. And uh, she kind of came in the next day rehearsals with a bag of scissors. And my <laughs> bass player, my bass player is from Liverpool. Ross kind of leaned in. He went, "Mees." That's far out. <laughs> and I was kind of looking at it going, wow, as if the, the speaking French in a track won't be enough to do these lads' heads in, in bucket hats. <laughs> We're now going to throw the scissors in. And she, and, but she, she, I mean, that's what she does. She's, she's an avant-garde French artist. And But everyone was trying to intellectualize it. So what are you actually saying with the scissors? I mean, are you like live trolling your brother? Is that what it is? <laughs> and I was like, no, mate, you're going to have to speak to her. <laughs> I'm busy writing the songs here. You know what I mean? And, uh, but bless her, she's great. I love her. Ten years of uh, Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds... Uh, which obviously we're marking here with uh, this pop-up station, Absolute Radio Noel. Well, okay, I like it. Okay. <laughs> I thought you <he> were <laughs> <was> snappy. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? You you've come up with some great album titles. The you know, Chasing Yesterday, Who Who Built the Moon. Um, we have obviously now. Um, about the way we came. About the way we came. Exactly. Have you not? When you think about your name, when you started ten years ago. Uh, for High Flying Birds and then you go back with Oasis and all that kind of thing people if you said to them Noel they may have gone Edmunds 
Right. Now, if you say to someone on the high street, Noel, <laughs> now... They're coward. They're going to go Gallagher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pro- probably, yeah. I mean, That's I how time's Britain's passed. most yeah. famous Noel. Well, I have, I have become the first Noel. You have? You know, yeah, I yeah. was... Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, maybe... Well, before lockdown, the summer before lockdown, I was out one afternoon with Sarah and a few friends for lunch at Scott's. And on the next table comes in, sits down beside me, is Noel Edmonds. <laughs> Double Noel. <laughs> who used to be the first Noel, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But not anymore. No. <laughs> and uh, we were like, no way. <laughs> yes, mate. Christmas single. Uh, the first Noel. Yeah, well, I, I did a... Th- oh, 35 I, million. <laughs> 35.2. million. Um, yeah, I remember doing a thing for, what, that Lighthouse charity once, and I had to be interviewed by Alan Partridge... And he, and he, you're not, you're not the first Noel. You're not even the second Noel. <laughs> you're not even the third. Uh, but it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it's a, you know, when I started High Flying Birds, because of the High Flying Birds I tagged on the end of my name, I was coming, when I was making the first record, I was coming past Shepherd's Bush Empire one night, and I was trying to picture my name in lights above the, and I couldn't see it, and I didn't, I was like, it doesn't sound that great, you know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, I thought I'm going to have to come up with a band name, but I didn't want to be in a band. And out of the sky fell high flying birds. There you go. But um, yeah, I never seen it in in, in lights. I'm afraid. But I still don't. I mean, you, where where do you go from here, Noel? Because you, I, I mean this genuinely. You don't look any different to how you did ages ago. <laughs> you're, you're, you're aging like a fine wine. Uh, and like, do you, have you put a date on like a time limit on how long can you keep going? I or? don't want to live till I'm eighty. I know people who are eighteen. It just doesn't look. A great deal of fun to me. Do you know what I mean? Right. You see them on the motorway. And uh, yeah, well, yeah. And the world, the way it is, what's the world going to be like in thirty-five, twenty-five years, thirty years? It's going right. to be dreadful. I mean, the only thing that's keeping me going is the fact that City might win eleven Champions Leagues in a row. <laughs> um, but no I, no, I don't. I, I, I mean, in my whole career as a musician, I've taken it one step at a time so when I joined Oasis that sounds like another album title mate <laughs> surely volume two yeah, yeah. come on but when when I joined Oasis um, you know I'd never played live before so let's do a gig and then you know so I, like well let's write some song and let, let's do an album and then after the album well let's see what happens so where I'm at now is once we get this out of the way I'm halfway through writing a new record and that won't come out till 2023 and then we'll see the way how the game is, and hopefully um, live music will be back. But we musicians, we've got Brexit to deal with now. Yeah. You know, and hopping on the train to Paris to do a, a, an acoustic session for you know, radio stations—that's that, that can't happen anymore. So it's going to get arrested on a ferry these days now. Do you know what I mean? I didn't get arrested that night. I was too busy chatting girls up. Good man. <laughs> yeah. Correct response. The other, the rest of them were like well, behaving like a load of scousers. Like, yeah, calm down. It's like fit birds on him. I'm not fighting. <laughs> uh, well, listen, it, it's, it's been awesome to chat to you. Thanks so much for your time. And like I say, ten years of Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds album, uh, Back the Way We Came, Volume One, out now. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's Bush and Ritchie here with a very special Through the Decades with the Chief himself, Noel Gallagher. Over the next hour, we will be delving into his record collection, going through the songs he loves and cherishes the most. With over 80 million records sold worldwide, number one albums in the 90s, noughties, 10s and 20s, as well as dozens of awards and festival headliner slots, these are the songs that help shape and define Noel Gallagher. This is Through the Decades.
So we have a station for every decade from the synth pop of the 80s, the grunge and Brit pop of the 90s, right the way up to the present day. But Noel, let's start with Absolute Radio 60s. What are you going for? Well, I think now I've decided now, this second I've just decided that I'm going to play I Can't Get No Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. Uh, and the reason for that is it's a great riff from a great band and it's like a youth anthem still holds true today I think from young people and the way that you feel when you're young growing up have you met Mick Jagger a lot of times he's, he's like a he's like a hard nosed businessman isn't he Mick Jagger he's alright I've actually spent New Year's Eve with Keith Richards about four years ago oh my lord and, New Year's uh, Eve with Chris, Keith Richards he was actually <laughs> funny so I know all the Stones kids and they were all like Oasis fans so I've known them for a while so when we happened to be in this hotel in uh, it's in the Bahamas somewhere and uh I see one of Keith's kids, I'm like, no way. And he said, I'm dad's here. I was like, yeah, I've never met Keith Richards. And he said, oh, come up to the bar for a drink tonight. There. So uh, we go up to the bar, there is Keith Richards looking exactly as you would imagine, like a scarf and a hat. Pirates of the Caribbean. And uh, <laughs> his son, his friend of mine, Marlon, said, Dad, it's not he turned around. He went, ah, you're still around, are you? <laughs> and, uh, but he said a great thing. You have to bleep this out, but it is a brilliant line. His second line was, he said, one thing I've always wanted to ask you. Who's the bigger <laughs> your singer or mine? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, as your singer wrote some of the greatest lyrics of all time, I'm going to say mine, I said. <laughs> That's brilliant. And uh, he was like, yeah, you're Ben, you're quite interesting there for a while. And I was like, I could actually say the same to you. <laughs> <laughs> but he was great, such a dude, and kind of reaffirms your faith in, in all your heroes when you meet Keith, because he is the man. But Mick, Mick's great. Mick's house a couple of times a few parties he's a but it's Mick Jagger you know what I mean no matter what no matter what the image of this hard, the businessman and all that that's he's one of the Rolling Stones the end the great thing is with Absolute Radio 70s uh, with some of these great bands you could go for a second pick so as we move to the 70s what are we taking right we're gonna go for Pretty Vacant by the Sex Pistols because there's loads you could pick from the 70s like I mean it's so it's great music but the Sex Pistols if it wasn't for that band and that album they influenced fashion photography journalism music politics everything you could think of one of the last truly original great rock and roll bands ever and that album when you listen to even this track when you listen to this track now and you, the sound of it it, you could, it looks like, sounds like it could be recorded tomorrow Many, many rock bands chase that sound, but they haven't got the tunes. And John Lydon is one of my absolute all-time heroes. I love him to bits. And I've been lucky enough to meet him and Steve and Paul. And great lads. And the Pretty Vacant. What a riff. What a band. I mean, when we started Oasis, we wanted to be a cross between the, the Pistols and the Beatles. We should have been called the Sex Beatles, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would have been a great name, wouldn't it? It would. Someone write that down. <laughs> That's brilliant. And is there another band, any other song from the 70s uh, you want to go for? Okay, I'm going to go for a song by the Bee Gees, right? Uh, now, when I was growing up, the Bee Gees was all about Saturday Night Fever and... Um, Teeth. Yeah, the, the, the disco thing, and of course that was frowned on by, by the punks. But when I started to become a songwriter, I started to get really into their songwriting. And if you see the documentary that's out on Sky now, I mean... They're a proper, proper band, astonishing songwriters, and we're having hits for like five decades. Yeah. And brilliant. But the one I'm going to play is You Should Be Dancing, which oh. is a tune. 
and I've heard it in nightclubs all over the world and seen some mm. questionable dancing by, <laughs> not by me. But are, by, you, are you good on the dance floor now? Me, no, 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 no. I'm a Mancunian, mate. I stand by the wall, <laughs> nodding my head moodily. Uh, I've seen some real questionable Euro trash dancing, you know, by middle-aged French fellas. Uh, but it's a tune and they're great. Uh, I love the Bee Gees. To the 80s. Absolute 80s. Noel, pick a song and why? I'm going to pick... Where the Streets Have No Name by U2, obviously. Now, Bono's one of my oldest friends. I've known him for nearly 30 years, and he's a dude, and I'm such a fan of U2. And have you ever seen U2? Any mm-hmm. of you? No, I've never. Okay, so when you go and see U2, which inevitably you will have to do before you die, when they play this song, and the intro to that song comes in before the drums kick in, it's one of the great moments in rock that you'll ever see in a stadium and it makes the hairs on your arms stand up and that album I remember buying that album the day it came out and you know I went on tour with them recently and you know I've invited up on stage to play with them once or twice and uh, it's a lesson in songwriting that album that first side of the Joshua Tree is mad it's mad it's like thriller all the songs you know every word to every song even if you don't own it and I get a bit frustrated when people are like I don't like you two I'm like no what you're saying is you don't like Bono right it's like nobody doesn't you're not telling me you don't like one single note that they've ever hate them it's like that's just rubbish it's nonsense but this song in particular is incredible it's uh, and it just brings me back to various stadiums around the world when you know, you're, you're there and you're like, wow, it's a, really a moment in rock. Why is he such a divisive chap, though? Because he's a nice bloke, isn't he, Bono? I don't know what he is. Because, and I've said this to him, so I'll say it to you. Nobody likes a do-gooder. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody likes it. <laughs> See, that's why people like me. I'm a, do, I'm a do-badder. <laughs> uh, you can have another 80s track if you want. Um, OK, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick something from my hometown in Manchester and actually I'm going to pick something by the Smiths and I'm going to pick Panic now Panic aside I love the Smiths I was the exact right age for the Smiths but I remember when uh, Panic came out and the the refrain Hang the DJ it's such a brilliant thing to have in a single that you know is going to be in the top (laughs) ten and you know is going to have to be played by the Radio 1 DJs that's why Morrissey for better or for worse is a genius (laughs) He's one of the great British writers of all time. And to get that in a song, knowing it's going to be played on daytime Radio 1, is a magnificent two fingers up to radio. (laughs) And it's amazing. And uh, the Smiths, to me, were everything when I was growing up. And uh, actually, Johnny was one of the first people ever to recognise Oasis. Before anybody had heard of us, he got hold of a, one of our demo cassettes and called me at home one, after, one afternoon. I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and we've become, obviously, really close friends. I've seen him on Sunday at, up at City, actually. And uh, he's just a wizard. He's as passionate about music now as he ever was. And at Morrissey, I was, you know, I don't know. I just, I adore that man so much. He just yeah. truly couldn't care less about anything. And I, went, I had a night out about... Um, it must be a good five, six years ago now in LA with him and Russell Brand uh, when Russell was living in LA and I actually had to go to the toilet at one point because my stomach was hurting so much because he was crying and it was on the day of Kate and William's wedding, right? So we're sat in this bar and this American woman comes over and says to Morrissey, 
I overheard you guys' accents. You must be British. I'd just like to come over and congratulate you on the wedding tomorrow. tomorrow soon. <laughs> congratulate you. <laughs> congratulate you on the wedding of Wills and Kate. And Morrissey did this thing. He put both his hands on the table and he just went... <sighs> <laughs> and growled. And the table shook. And I was like, of all the people in the world to come and thank for a royal wedding, you picked the most anti-royal person you could ever come across. We need to give you proper time to answer this one. Absolute Radio 90s. You have one song to pick from the 90s. See, it's hard not to pick one of mine. I was say. Mine was you so can. bloody brilliant. <laughs> <coughs> the 90s. So that goes for 1990, I take it. I'm going to go for There She Goes by the Lars, which I believe was a hit in 1990. Imagine, you know, he's only made one album, but if you're only going to make one album in your life, make that album. Yeah. You know, and he's up there with the Pistols and I'm not sure how many one album wonders there were, but there she goes. Great tune. He's a magnificent songwriter. Lazy <laughs> but, you know, put that to one side. Uh, the Lars are one of my favourite bands, still are, you know, and um, the sound of Liverpool in the 90s is that sound. He influenced all of us and all the bands that came after the Lars influenced a lot of other groups and uh you know i've got two scousers in my band and i can tell you well actually chris funnily enough my drummer was in was in the lars and he's in the video for there she goes they're brilliant musicians they've got a great attitude towards music it does get a bit tense during the football season because they're liverpool supporters and when city and liverpool that season were going for the title we were on tour and we had to watch games separately <laughs> and then still do a gig that night kind of thing and it gets really don't talk about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, when they knocked us out of the Champions League one night, we had a massive gig in Paris. And uh, my bass player, I've got to say, celebrated a little bit too much for my life. Right? <laughs> a little bit too much, right? So about, I don't know, it would have been a month later, we got offered to do this big gig in Scotland. And someone said, we're doing this gig, but it's Liverpool got to the final playing Real Madrid. It says, we've got this big gig in Scotland, but might not want to do it because it's the night of the Champions League final I was like oh that's a shame (laughs) (laughs) that's a shame because somebody won't be watching it (laughs) and uh, they had the iPads on stage and it was brilliant I'm turning round doing a gig in front of 60,000 people watching Gareth Bale scoring over it literally doesn't get any better than this they're on the dressing room afterwards kind of all like almost in tears and me and the City fans in my crew Phil Smith who's been with me for 30 years we're just counting bottles of champagne going, <laughs> you know what lads you're celebrating a bit quickly there uh, but uh, anyway yeah the last there she goes Noughties absolute radio Noughties that goes up to 2010 right? yes you're really getting the hang of this decade yeah, station I, yeah. thing, <laughs> I mean I was doing a thing yesterday I mean I'm literally convinced it was 2022 yesterday <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I work in dog years maybe <laughs> now this is not one of my great uh, periods of music where I know a lot about 2000 to 2010 so Oasis split in 2009 so it was around then alright the Coral after being going then wasn't he mm. so I'll go for Dreaming of You by the Coral one of my favourite bands one of the most influential bands of the 21st century if it wasn't for the Coral the Arctic Monkeys would still sound like little punk rockers getting their pants pulled down by the nose <laughs> uh, uh, the, the, uh, the Coral influ- influenced Oasis uh, and me as a songwriter and uh, I remember going to see one of their first gigs at Dingwalls in Camden 
they just signed their record deal that day, but they were so young, they legally weren't allowed to sign it, so their, their mums and dads had to sign it on their behalf. <laughs> oh, wow. And we went into the dressing room, and honestly, it was just like seeing a load of little children, all like ruddy cheeks <laughs> with the tops off. And one of them, one of them went, no way, there's that fella off the telly. <laughs> and uh, magnificent live band, great lads, also Liverpool supporters. Yeah. Uh, but they're all right. They're kind of from over the water in Liverpool. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, I love them to bits. Uh, so the coral dreaming of you. Absolute Radio tens, which is ten through to twenty. Yeah, young fathers get up. Now I don't. Not, not, I'm not sure how many people know this band, but it's three guys from Glasgow. And I was I was went to see Massive Attack one night, Brixton Academy, and kind of got there early. And this band were on stage. I'd never heard the name or seen it written down. No one had said anything about this band, and, and I was blown away then I seen them on Jules Holland but this track called Get Up is amazing and then I was doing a gig in Bilbao on our last tour with a festival and they were on the bill and um, we kind of got there early and went to see them and they were just truly astonishing um, they're one of the best live bands I've ever seen incredible I've never heard of them <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of them well Prepare to be dazzled. <laughs> You've been stared at by Kem off of um, uh, Love Island, is that right there? Oh, is that who that is? Oh, yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You've been watched by that, someone from Love Island. <laughs> <laughs> Life is way too short for that. Yeah. Absolute Radio 20s, open goal. I mean, there's only really one act that you can pick. <laughs> uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick uh, my own current latest greatest. We're on our way now, which... Uh, of course, I spoke about before, probably would not even exist were it not for the pandemic. It's a song that I've half written. I'm not sure when it was. I think it sounds like it was probably from Chasing Yesterday. Uh, and I'd never wrote a second verse and never quite finished it, and it fell by the wayside. And when I came up with the idea to do this best of, I only wanted to do it if there was new music on it and if that new music was equally as good as anything else on it and not just a token filler track when you say you've half written something by the way just a quick question is that like you've recorded a bit of it or you've got it in your head no I'll have half a first verse and half a chorus and then what I usually do is I don't if I finish a song off all in one go those are the ones that become massive because they come from another place yeah and you're channeling they find you and all of a sudden you've got a song most I'd say 90% of my songs they'll be like the opening line and the melody and then the chorus, and I'll leave it at that, and I'll put that to one side, and I'll keep going back to it while I'm making record and do another bit or change a bit. So this is one of them what I always meant to finish off, and I probably had wrote, probably like Dying of the Light fell out of the sky or something, and that's a better song, or I would have thought it was a better song at the time. So yeah, then finishing it off and recording it uh, during the lockdown um, and kind of standing back and listening to it, and she was like, oh, I can't believe I never put that out. Um, but it's a great tune and um, it's doing well it's doing well people are liking it and here it is Well, there you have it, Noel Gallagher's Through the Decades and ending on the brilliant new single, We're On Our Way Now, from Back the Way We Came, Volume 1, a best-of collection celebrating 10 years of Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. If you like that, then download the free Absolute Radio app. There is a station for everyone from the psychedelic 60s, the disco of the 70s and the indie riffs of the 90s.